This presentation was recorded at the Western Fellowship Teachers Institute. For more information about the Institute, call 541-999-7467 or email jolasmucker at gmail.com. That's J-O-L-A-S-M-U-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. All right, good morning and welcome to Avoiding the 40-Acre Toolbox. I had a friend when I was about 15, he's quite a bit older than I, had a very large ratchet set. Now, the problem with his ratchet set was that the, uh, the latches on it uh, didn't work. And so when you picked it up, you had to be very careful, you see, or um, everything would fall out. Well, one afternoon, um, a younger friend of mine was there, and my friend Steve, who had this ratchet set, um, said, Arthur, would you go grab a half-inch socket for me? Arthur said, yeah. He went out to the back of Steve's truck, and, um, and he reached in, and Steve said, and remember to grab the toolbox by the sides, and don't just pick up the handle. And Arthur said, what? Okay, I got you. Okay, this one that has them all clipped in. Steve's didn't, okay? And there were pieces of ratchet set all over the place. It wasn't quite over 40 acres. But that's what I had to think about when this happened. Sue, so, we're talking about avoiding something, so I thought we had, we'd need to spend some time talking about the problem we want to avoid. And I hate to tell you this, I hope you wore your steel-toed shoes, this doesn't all feel good. The basic problem if you have a 40-acre toolbox is laziness. I'm not going to mince words here. Maybe you say, well, I'm always busy. That doesn't mean you're not lazy. I'm sorry. Laziness is a lack of motivation. It may be a dislike for a certain job, and you may keep yourself busy so you don't have to do that one. It might be a dislike for work, period. Or maybe you are just undisciplined. It's a lack of planning. Operating day to day. Well, we'll see how today goes, and we'll get whatever we feel like done today, and then we'll do whatever we feel like tomorrow, and we don't bother with prioritizing and trying to get done the most important things. We just do whatever happens to come along that's not planning. Or it may be a lack of courage. Maybe you're too timid to mention needs or to improve your situation. It might be poor time management. Second year I was teaching. I got a call from a co-teacher from my previous year and everything was wrong in our classroom. Her students were not performing. Um, the school board wasn't listening. She was not able to keep up and the sky was falling. She told me that for half an hour. I didn't know what to say. I told her I'd call her back the next day. I'll tell you later what happened. Poor time management means you're operating in survival mode. That's what she was doing. She was only able to accomplish what had to get done, and barely that. It's often task avoidance. It means our time management, we can... Um, manage our time, but we can push that hard job that we didn't like off till the end and hope that we don't have time for it. And then when we don't get it done, we'll say, well, I didn't have time to finish that job that I don't like to do. 
Or maybe it's favoring leisure. Maybe there is a sale at Fabric Line this week, or Cabela's. Or maybe um, your best friend just loaned you that good book, and uh, you have it in your desk drawer, and you do that instead of checking papers. Or maybe you get a phone call from that friend back in um, Pennsylvania, and uh, you haven't talked in so long, you end up wasting your whole afternoon. Or maybe it's overcommitment. Maybe you're a promise maker. Please, please don't be that type of person. Don't say yes to every suggestion your students have. All right, let's have an uh, uh, aquarium in the schoolroom. Um, let's um, build a, um, a, a hay bale uh, maze or something, and everything they say, yes, let's do that. Well, next thing you know, you'll be a hair-frazzled person who is unable to keep their word. All work. If you're constantly scheduling a task for every single moment of your day, you will never have a chance to make any of those tasks easier. And the old adage, all work, no play, makes Johnny a dull boy, I suppose probably makes for dull teachers as well. Majoring on minors. Planning for time-consuming decorations or art projects or science exhibits and so on. Yes, they may be nice, but do you really have the time for it? Um, I hate to call those minor things, and yet they aren't the big three. Make sure you're getting your main subjects done. A lack of space or resources. And before you think you don't have enough space, um, my second year of teaching, I taught in a school, not a room, although it was only one room, that was 10 feet by 20 feet. I had six students, all our school books, all our resources, everything was in there. That was it. And by the way, those were the outside dimensions. Maybe you have lack of shelving, lack of file cabinets, or lack of drawer space. And if you have those, you probably have a lack of communication between the board and the teachers. Between your, yourself and your co-teachers, if you have co-teachers, or between your teachers and your students. Any questions or thoughts about the problem? Any other problems you see in someone having a 40-acre toolbox? Don't try to get too many answers yet. We'll want to get to that next. Go ahead, Ed. I did. You know, apologize for not giving this to you. What was that lack of planning, I suppose? And they are both the same. Um, the green ones just have a more appealing appearance. Once Ed gives you those, I'll run over that one more time with you real quick so that you can write down anything you'd like to. Right, lack of motivation, once again, includes a dislike for a job, dislike for work, or being undisciplined. Lack of planning would be day-to-day -day operations, 
or not prioritizing jobs. Lack of courage, just being too timid to try to change something that you know you could improve. Survival mode involves doing only the things that you have to do. Task avoidance, leaving your disliked jobs until last. And favoring leisure, maybe not favoring not doing something, but favoring doing things aside from work. And majoring on minors, skipping down there a little bit. Planning time-consuming decorations, art projects, or science exhibits when you don't really have the time for those. The rest of them, I think, are basically self-explanatory. Once again, any questions on first part of it here? Next page, the solution. If the basic problem is laziness, the basic answer is motivation. Be disciplined. Now this co-teacher actually called me back the next day. She said I had a good day. I said, really? What happened? I hadn't come up with an answer for her yet. She said, well, I decided that I just wasn't disciplined enough. And we discussed a little bit what she did to correct that, and I made, did make a few suggestions then. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later as well. Be disciplined. Be a person who wakes yourself up in the morning, gets to school on time, doesn't stay up till 2.30, reading a good book. I'll have enough. If you're teaching literature, then go ahead. Um, clean up after yourself. Be responsible for yourself and expect the same from your students. Part of motivation in the classroom is motivating others, and specifically in the cleaning up department. Clean up after yourself and expect them to clean up after themselves, or you will spend a lot of time cleaning up after them, trust me. They will let you. Put things away. When is the best time to put something away? Anyone? When is the best time to put it away? When you're done with it. When you're done with it. The other evening we had a work bee at church and we were using lots of wrenches. And I have this very precious wrench in my schoolroom, which also has, happens to be at our church house, that was the right size. But it's the wrench that I use to adjust desks. It's that size. And it's the only one that I have at school. And when we got done, other people had been using it, and I started asking, well, where's my wrench? I need to put it back in my desk. I have to have it before school starts, or at least one that size. And a number of my former students got excited about this. They all knew that wrench. They could recognize it easily. And they went looking for it under the benches, all over the place, upstairs, in somebody's toolbox, the other man's truck, and everything that was no. I went home a little sad, honestly, because they had put forth so much effort to find my wrench, and it had not been found. It was nowhere to be found. I got home, and about half an hour later, the phone rings, and uh, I picked it up. One of my students said, I found your wrench. I said, really? He said, yeah, it was uh, in my back pocket. <laughs> put them away right away, as soon as you're finished with them. 
sticking things in your pocket or you know in that spot I'll do that in just a minute that's a way to end up with a 40 acre toolbox really fast planning battles are won before they're ever fought there was a battle of the Civil War in which a Union general was far prepared, it seemed like. He was way more equipped than his Confederate counterpart. Plenty more men, guns, and so on. There's only one problem. He forgot one thing. He forgot to bring the floating bridges that they would need to cross the river. So when they came to a river, all his men had to try to cross this river on one footbridge. And they were cut down like grass. Because they couldn't utilize all this wonderful resources that they had because of one thing. That battle was lost before they ever got there. And they didn't even know it. Planning. So, what I'm telling you is your school year is it's being decided right now. It's, whether you have a good year or not isn't going to happen in January. That's decided before it ever starts. You need to make a year plan. It would include your PTA meetings, when you need to get your report cards done, vacation time. When are you planning to have the last date? It should include specifically your art projects, a memory plan, a plan for your devotionals. And then you should make a master plan for your year that outlines your lessons, daily lessons, where you need to be in them. And remember to re leave room in your plan for programs, whether you have a Christmas program, end of the year program. Make sure you're going to have room in your daily schedule for those. And then monthly, as you come along, revise your master plan to fit the current needs, but make sure that you're staying on schedule. Weekly, you should look at your plan. Review problem lessons. Concepts such as maybe teaching fractions for the first time or the first algebra lesson. Look at your science books and figure out what you need for the experiments. Make sure that you know when your students need to be preparing for tests, book reports, have the things that you need to have ready for art projects, and adjust your memory assignment, maybe depending on um, whether your students, maybe there's a week of meetings and your memory assignment might feel a little bit of a burden to them that week. Maybe you need to cut it down. Daily you should prepare lessons. Make sure you have extra work for those fast students. And make sure that you have a Inspiring devotion. Number two there, make lists. As I was talking with this teacher who had had such a horrible day and then had a good one, she said, I, I wrote a list. <laughs> I started checking things off, and I was having fun. And, and guess what? I said, what? I got done. I said, well, I think you better keep that up. And she did for the next six years of teaching. I don't know if she still makes lists or not. I wouldn't be surprised. She's that type of person. Schedule. Your daily schedule should be down to every five-minute segment. 
and that includes the allowances for classes. That may be able to vary more so if you have less students, but the more students you have, the stricter you will have to schedule yourself and them. Use a planner, but do it in pencil. <laughs> because I will tell you that unexpected things happen, we'll get there. Have it in detail and make it easy to read. Try not to use abbreviations that no one else knows what they stand for because if you have substitutes, trust me, they will have a bad day <laughs> if they try to look at your planner and can't figure it out. Leave spaces in your planner intending to expect the unexpected. In other words, while I just said that you should have everything planned down to five-minute segments, realize that you won't abide by those strictly. Arnold mentioned that variety is the spice of life, and it will be, but you should still have a basic pattern that you're going to stick to as a rule. File your old schedules. It is a wonderful tool to plan next year if you have the schedule from last year, and you look at the patterns you used, you looked at how you accomplished um, subjects that had more lessons than you had days in the year, or whatever and improve on any patterns that didn't seem to work the year before. Designation is something that we should use in organizing. It means we have a place for everything, not the top of your desk. And the less space you have, the more organized you need to be. You should designate student responsibilities. I normally designate one student to do my desk inspections for me. Um, it seems like it happens more regularly that way. He or she is supposed to do it once a week. And along with that, I have strict requirements as to lo the location of books in their desks and so on. For instance, if a Bible is placed underneath any other book in their desk, they automatically fail. doesn't matter how neat the desk looks. And procedures that you do use, that your students do, the way you exit the room, the way they come in from recess, things like that. Once again, the more in this situation, the more students you have, the more procedures you will need to have to keep order and make things run smoothly. Desk privileges, and this refers to the teacher's desk. I usually assign one student to be allowed into my desk aside from me. The reason for that is I can teach him exactly where everything goes in my desk, and when it's taken out of my desk, it goes back in the same place. And then priorities. Make sure that you do the necessities consistently, and those jobs that you don't like to do, make sure that those are near the top of your list. Get those done first. And if you maintain that order, they'll always get done. Student papers, you should use a pattern of some kind for them. Um, usually the first day of school, I'll tell mine, your, your name goes at this place, the lesson assignment goes at the next place, and I require my students to copy the lesson assignment verbatim. They're not allowed to just write lesson one. If I wrote lesson one and then it says the even numbers or something like that, they have to write that down. Um, 
and so on, so that if they don't, they can actually be held accountable for that. And I usually tell them to make their papers look like the textbook and to keep them neat. We have a little saying at my school. I'll tell them you use your eraser or I'll use mine. In which case I erase their whole lesson. It doesn't happen very often. Seldom more than once per student per year. Checking order. You will find teachers tend to waste a lot of time checking because they just don't organize it. I'm not quite sure why. I did for years. And, you know, I'll check fourth grade uh, math. So I get to walk around to the fourth graders' desks and get their math books, go over to the teacher's desk and get the teacher's manual and sit down and check fourth grade math. And when I'm done, I'll go put everything away. Well, is that an organized method? Somewhat. Gets a whole lot better than that. And I want to show you that. First, we're going to play a game. Y'all like playing games? We have a little time here, we're going to play one. It's called Nine Books. Anybody here know how to play Nine Books? Good. All right. So I'm, I've uh, recruited Mr. Marlin here to help me. And what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to use this pointer. We're going to pretend that these are nine books here, okay? These nine here. And I will have someone from the crowd pick one of them. And Marlon will tell us which one it is without having spoken to me. So Marlon, would you just uh, step to the back of the room for a little bit and kind of look in the corner there and I'll have someone help me here. All right, so which, which book do we want Marlon to pick? Someone just tell me when to stop my stick and I'll, I'll uh, get over here. This one? Very good. Okay, Marlon. Go ahead and turn around. You, you don't need to come up close here. Uh, is it this book? No. Is it this book? No. Is it this book? No. Is it this book? Okay, very good. Uh, would someone want to tell us? Well, we'll wait a little bit. We'll just do it one more time, and then we'll go. Go ahead and turn around again, Marlon. All right. Um, which book next here? Uh, once again, just tell me when to stop here. All these Stop. Okay. All right, Marlon. We're ready here. Um, is it this book? No. All right. Is it this book? How about this one? This one? Is it this one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, do some of y'all wonder how he knows? I'm sure. You can go ahead and sit back down, Marlon. We did this twice, so you know it wasn't just a one-time trick. The point is designation, okay? Um, imagine that each of these nine squares has nine squares in it. If anybody was paying attention the first time, each time I pointed to the center. And that told Marlon that this was the right one. The second time, each time I was pointing to the lower right-hand corner, it didn't matter which one I pointed at, designating that this was the right one. He knew right away. When I pointed to the first one, he could have told you which one it is. All right. Go ahead and come off to the front here. Everybody. I have this nice eight-foot table set up here. And uh, you get to observe some things firsthand. We'll get to this file system later. So I have a stack of papers. 
that I had some really bright students work on yesterday. I must compliment them. They were really good too. How am I going to organize them? I want to tell you something, backing up here to the, the checking papers thing. It's a whole lot faster for me to organize all of them at one time rather than to just go collect the fourth graders math books, check them, and return them to the desks. That job should be combined. You should collect all the books you're going to check that day at one time, organize them, organize your teacher's books, check everything, and then put everything away. An eight-foot table is very useful for that, especially if you use designation, what I was just talking about. All right, so I'm going to do this rather quickly. I'm going to have, handle, have uh, several of you help me here. Um, Lauren, maybe you'd come up and help a little bit. And Trina, could you help too? So here's the deal. We're going to designate some places here. They, they have two different sets of papers. I don't even know which um, grade levels. I think we had six, if I remember right. So we're going to say that first grade is here, second grade's here, third grade's here, fourth grade's here. Okay. Go ahead and do that. So if you have a first grade paper, lay it here. If you have a second grade paper, it goes right beside it. All right. That's good. Fairly organized. Okay. I like to take it one step a little bit further. So I need two more uh, volunteers. James Martin and um, pick on somebody else here. Um, why don't you come up and help a little bit? I can't remember their name now. Nadia. Nadia, yes. Go ahead and come up here. Organize them by age. Make sure that the oldest one's paper is on the bottom. So all you have to do, the ages are right here. So that one doesn't matter. So just make sure that the oldest student's paper is on the bottom. In this case, they're both the same, so don't worry about it. Very good, thank you. All right, now, we can stack these up like this. And we now know which grade is on the bottom. The oldest one. And the oldest, and it's stacked very simply. Now, if I was going to grab my teacher's book, which one would I put on the bottom? The oldest one on up to the top. Um, and this goes for even to the subjects you're using. And if you consistently do this the same way every time, it gets to where you can do it in your sleep. Um, I have designated like just like this for second, third, fourth, so on. And reading, English, math, so on. Until everything is set up, um, normally I can set up approximately every day. Daily I normally check around 60 lessons, and I can be ready to check usually in less than 20 minutes. I'll guarantee you use more time than that if you do that each job one by one. That makes sense? Um, and I keep my teacher's books on my desk so that I can grab a whole stack of them and bring them over here, especially the daily ones, such as math, English, and reading, without having to reorganize them. They're already set up in the order I'm going to check them in. Does that make sense? Um, so that's what I'm talking about in designation. And then when I'm done, I do the same thing. But rather than go making a, a trip to each pupil's desk as I get to each one, I have a designated place for each pupil's name on the table again. And I could be talking to someone 
and going through the papers, I already know which position their paper is in, and laying their papers out on the table until I have a stack of books that goes to Johnny, who's in fourth grade, Sally, who's in fourth grade. You know. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm talking about when I say designation? So we don't have anything drawn on this table, but you, in your mind, you can think of it as that, same as the nine books system. Does that make sense to everyone? Anyone have a question about it? Make, make a system like this work for you. I'm telling you about my system, personally. Um, and it works. And I think it's organized and it saves a lot of time. Um, it's possible to be able to check large amounts of, of papers in a short period of time. And unless you like spending lots of time checking papers, you can do it without organizing if you want to. But personally, I like, I like to get it done. Um, all right, you may be seated again for a little bit. Restraint. Yesterday I was talking to Dan Weaver and he told me that of the last three food parcel packings, he hasn't been at any of them. And he said two of them, he got everything ready ahead of time and was all worried about it and everything went okay. The last time he didn't because he thought he was going to be there and then in the morning the food parcel packing was supposed to ha happen. He woke up sick. So he couldn't show up and he hadn't gotten anything ready. And guess what? You are not indispensable. Say no. Practice saying no when someone asks you, teacher, may we? Or someone calls you, could you come over and help us after school? And so on. Practice saying no, just uh, not in this class. Okay. <laughs> but say no. It's just part of being restrained. Promise one at a time. Promise yourself that you won't make another promise until you fulfilled the one you made already. If your student said, teacher, let's have an aquarium in the classroom. And you say, yes, that's a good idea. Don't dare start talking about something else in the classroom until you've got them an aquarium. Does that make sense? Get the big rocks in. What are the big rocks? What are we talking about? We're talking about time with God, your family, friends. Remember that you are not an island. No one is so round that they are perfect all by themselves. I think Lauren has figured that out. Our lives will fill up with things. They're like a jar that you fill up with rocks. We need to put the big rocks in the jar first before you put little ones in or you never get the big ones in. Your day will fill every day. Make sure you're getting the important things in first. When it comes to school subjects, make sure that you're planning enough time for your math, English, and reading before you start eking in those wonderful um, art, science, history things that sometimes become our pet projects. And recreate. Go for a walk. Have a hobby. Chop some firewood. Or bake cookies and send them to your WFTI instructors. Communication. Discuss needs. Write down what you need before you're meeting with the school board or whoever is responsible. Be clear about the need and then be patient about them getting it fulfilled. I've been on the school board too before and I know what it's like sometimes trying to meet teachers' requests. 
Discuss ideas. If you want things to get better, discuss them with your board or co-teachers. And remember that your idea just might not be the best one. And discuss the results. If you try a new thing, discuss how it's working. We had a friend, I say a friend, a man that a number of us worked for in the Midwest. His name was Dink. And occasionally he would show up on the job and someone would tell him, this doesn't work. And his standard comment was, of course it doesn't work. You have to make it work. Well, that's what you have to do. Whatever your system is, whatever you're doing, it's not going to work all by itself. You have to make it work. Any questions? Comments? More ideas? I said no one is an island. That includes me. Uh, normally, once I'm ready, I can check 60 to 100 lessons in about two to two and a half hours. Um, I think that's usually. Most of the time, if I wasn't doing something else, I was home by 5.30. So, and I check, I do no, because of my situation, I do absolutely no checking during school, during class time. So I check everything after school, um, which necessitated coming up with a highly organized method, um, or else I was there very late. Any other questions, thoughts? If not, we'll move on to the next page here. Organization. Once again, the less space you have, the more you need to be organized. And the more students you have, the more you'll need to be organized. Have a system that applies to your space, your supplies, whatever it is you're using. And um, your children. Or in other words, have a system that works for, if you're teaching lower grades, that's going to work for lower graders. Which would mean it would probably need to be fairly simple. If you're teaching upper graders, it's okay to come up with more complex systems and so on. Use association. Put things that you use or that you make you think of the same thing together in the same place, such as in my one of my desks. I have a little compartment where I have everything that I use to put things together, such as sticky putty, tape, staplers, all that stuff's in that compartment. And I can know if someone asks me, where is this, then it's in there. Um, or keep things that you use to write, such as your pens, markers, chalk, so on. It might all be in the same place. Um, it'd be nice to have one little spot for everything. My experience is teachers' desks just aren't that big. Use color coding. Especially if you have binders that you're using for um, keeping teaching notes or so on. Use a certain color binder, maybe for each grade or something to that effect. Um, in pens, use a certain color to check all the time. I know lots of teachers use red ink to check with. Um, in my classroom, I am the only person allowed to have a green pen. That's because everyone checks with red, right? But if I want my students to know that I wrote something personally to them about their lesson, it will be in green ink. And they will know that that was me writing. Use priority storage. In other words, if you use it quite often, 
um, you know, maybe you need to keep your pencil behind your ear. Um, if it's something you use daily, keep it readily available. Maybe it needs to be in your teacher's desk, on your desk or your class table. And for instance, with that um, answer keys, chalk, pointers, whatever you use on a daily basis. Something that you use weekly can be less available, but probably still in the classroom or near it, such as maybe your um, art sheets, music sheets, things you use for music exercises, and so on. Things that you only use occasionally should be in storage. They should not be in your classroom. Take, for instance, decorations, things that you might use for a science experiment only once a year, and so on. Those are not necessary to keep in the classroom at all times. Use appropriate storage. Books should be on shelves, if possible, and uh, easily accessed. And that's probably something that's more of a school board situation than you, but that's where they should be. Papers should be in files, and we'll get to that in just a minute. You should have some sort of systematic filing that includes an index. Art and science supplies can go into drawers, on shelves, and so on, wherever you have available space. And now we get to this wonderful numerical lamp and light filing system. I'm going to talk about it just a little bit and let you come up and look at it. Lamp and light filing system, the key to it, I just mentioned, if you have a system, needs to have an index, okay? So this is the index for this system. If I get to the school part of it right here. So right here it says school module. You probably can't read it. The writing's quite small. And it has numbers for each thing. And the beauty of numbers is they go to, like, the first one, school administration, is under number 115. And then you add a decimal to make your subfolders. And, of course, we know that numbers are infinite. So if you have decimal subfolder 115.05, um, to add another one to it, you just go 0 .055, and there's your next folder, and so on, and that's inside the next one. Um, and it's infinite. You can keep going with that. I am just getting into this system personally. I have a system at home. And um, I, when I studied for this topic, they recommended me looking at this. I'm sold on it. I'll tell you that. Um, take, for instance, my current filing system for um, notes and handouts from meetings like this. It's in a file called Meeting Notes. You can imagine um, how hard it is for me to find one thing in there. Um, whereas in this filing system, there's a place for each different subject. And if there wasn't one, I can make one and put it in there. So once again, go ahead and come up front here, and I will show and tell. So go ahead and start by taking a look at the index. Very simple. And by the way, uh, the filing system would take up quite a bit more space than this little box that I have here. This is only for um, <coughs> exhibit purposes. And I used a few things. If you'll notice, I personally chose to use somewhat color coding. All my main files are in a colored, a brightly colored folder, whereas the subfolders are in dull colored ones. You can do that if you like. My main files are in with the tab that's on the right, 
The rest of them come in with the tabs center, or I mean, I said that wrong, on the left, tabs to the center or the right. Um, what you'll get if you order this from Lamp and Light is a bunch of pages with stickers on them like this. I found it necessary to cut the um, stickers down a little bit. They were slightly wider than, than the tab on, a, on these third cut folders. Along with them will be some blank ones, like on this one, and those are for you to go ahead and make some files of your own. Of course, you can buy these stickers, I'm sure, at Walmart, Staples, or wherever else you want to get them. Once again, the, the um, beauty of this filing system is, first of all, the index. Secondly, that you can add infinite um, folders to it. And you can add them into the index as you add them so that it's easy to find where you put them. Go ahead and feel free to come up here and take a look. I don't have much in here yet. I do have one thing. I don't think I mentioned this yet. In keeping uh, your schedules from previous years, this is something I found useful. This little piece of paper on which I write how many lessons are in each subject so that when I go to plan and I know I say I have 159 days that I'm going to be planning, I can look, I have one piece of paper to look at to see how many lessons I need to try to squeeze into that period. These are very, have been very useful to me. And that goes in this one. Any questions on this filing system? Does the <coughs> case fit into a file cabinet? Does this file cabinet drawer? Uh, no, no. These files will all need to come out. This plastic case is actually intended to sit on top of someone's desk, um, which I use at my own home rather than at school because I don't have that many files. But yeah. And I think if I'm right, the school files, which you don't have to use all of them if you don't want to. Um, I think there's 130 different files, if I'm right. So it would take probably most of a file cabinet drawer. Um, but currently, my, my files that I have already do, I think actually have two drawers. <laughs> so um, there is a, a need and a place to go with things. So. Any other questions? If not, you may be seated again. Go over just a few more things. You should also use student filing. You should have a file on each student as soon as they come to your school. I usually begin with their um, readiness test. It's the first thing that goes in there as well as health records, child's age, um, contact numbers for the family. Um, those things can be important if the child gets injured at school and so on. Um, at the end of each year, I make a copy of their report card or if you use some sort of electronic system, maybe you can print off a PDF file or something that goes into their file so that their grades are recorded yearly. Um, twice I've actually had those requested by um, the state. Um, for some reason or another. And uh, it's been nice to be able to just grab that file and say, yeah, there it is. And here's the copy of every, every grade they ever got. 
copies of achievement tests, um, or if it was a special child, if you used a certain technique with them, write down what you did and put it in the file. And if, that way, if that student ever moves to another location, the next teacher is able to look at that and see, oh, okay, this student um, is dyslexic, this student um, has whatever problem. Or maybe they, if it's a health record thing, maybe they're diabetic and so on. Or if they have a behavior problem, the student has a consistent chronic lying problem, um, I would put that in their file. And then when they're out of school and graduated, give them a copy of the file. Um, be interesting to them once they're a little bit older and look back and realize, oh, did I really do that? And so on. Use textbook grouping. While I said we, our books should be on shelves, I personally don't think that's enough just to have all the books on a shelf. Um, you should group them either by grade or by subject. Um, I have put ours up by grade. Um, and I arranged all the grades in the exact same way. That all of the grades start with their reading and then the math books, English books, and so on. And they all start with the textbook, the teacher's book, and any workbooks that go along with it. It makes it very easy to walk into the storage room. And I know I'm looking for a eighth grade history teacher's manual. I, I don't look at the whole bookshelf. I already know where to look. And I can even tell my students, occasionally go upstairs, get this book. It'll be on this shelf at about the middle of the shelf, and there it is. And they appreciate that. Even they enjoy trying to figure out where they go when they go to put them away at the end of the year. Arranging them by subject would probably work just as effectively. It's just not the way I've done it. The biggest thing is, the last thing here, work your system. You've heard the, the saying that success is 5% inspiration and 95% perspiration. I disagree with that. I believe that success should be 5% inspiration, 65% organization, which once again, it takes motivation to do that. So I guess maybe there is perspiration involved. And then 30% 30, 30 perspiration, and you can be successful. And as you're working your system, envision things, attempt them, and then adjust as you need to to make them work. Such as maybe you envision a new method of filing notes from teachers' meetings. So envision that. Figure out how you're going to do it and try to do it. And if it doesn't quite work, then adjust whatever you're doing so that it does work. And then maintenance. Prepare before school starts. I already said once that your school year is going to be decided prior to the first day. I like to begin at least two weeks ahead of time, which means for most of us, we better start as soon as these teachers' meetings are over if you haven't already started. I hope you have. Maintain order throughout the term. Don't be lazy. Don't let up on procedures you started your students with. If you started them the first day of school, you said that um, when we dismiss, you will file out by rows. Don't let them start not doing that in October. They will begin to think that you don't mean what you say. And your room will become disorganized rather quickly. Meet deadlines. 
We talked about making a schedule, stay on the schedule. And that includes checking their papers. I made a goal last year to never get more than one day behind. Sometimes you're required almost to get a day behind because occasionally you have to leave soon after this, the school day is over and are unable to check right away. But if you do, schedule extra time the next day so that you're there. It keeps you from getting that feeling of there being a huge thunder cloud about ready to break over your head. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I see, I see Ed nodding his head. I think he's been there before. Most of us who've taught in a length of time probably went through some point in time when we just got far enough behind. It felt like there was never going to be an end to the checking. And improve after each term. There's always things that we can do better. I normally keep working at school, sometimes up to two weeks after this term is over. Um, normally this is after communicating with the school board and um, with their direction, figuring out things we can do for the next year, making plans, taking notes. Trust me, you'll think of a lot more things right at the end of the school year than you will just before the beginning of the next one. Somehow things tend to get rose-tinted after those three months of the summer. Any other thoughts here? Okay, <laughs> good question. I was going to mention this. I use a system um, that actually is very tailored to my likes, I guess. And I actually have a set of um, what I call bird boxes. Um, some people would maybe call them pigeonholes, <clears throat> where the students keep all of their workbooks and um, notebooks, everything. The students, my students' desks contain their pencils, erasers, art, little boxes and whatever, and their textbooks, and that's it. Um, I have a, a set of boxes that would be similar to this, but smaller, divided, and that's where all their workbooks are. So at the end of the school day, when I'm going to get ready to lay everything out, I can go over here and with one hand I grab all of Guns, all of Salmon's. And if I know which one they did, I only have to grab the top set. They put them in, and um, so each day I know which I start with, say, whichever lesson we started with that day. I know that's the bottom one in their box and lift it out. And when I'm done, I don't actually go back to their desks. I take their workbooks, worksheets, and so on back to that um, little set of boxes. and. I can stand in one place and put them all away. Um, it does save a lot of time, saves me a lot of walking, and it keeps their desks rather neat. Your desk checks? Yes. Um, do you have a reward system, or what's the punishment? Yes, I do have a reward system, and yes, there are punishments. Um, getting into something completely different here, I do use a classroom economy. Um, each year my students earn money, one penny, 
equals a school dollar, um, by doing jobs, including the person who's responsible for ma making desk checks gets paid for every time he makes one. And actually what makes it a little more incentive is that um, if, he, if someone's desk does not pass, he gets the money for the fine. Um, and the fines go up. If your desk doesn't pass consecutively, it gets worse and worse, and eventually I will punish them. Um, I prefer to help them constructively, which I consider if the desk doesn't pass um, in one period. Um, I don't normally mention it to the student. They don't know that their desk didn't pass. And the next period, if it's not the last period of the day, say, take for instance, if it's the lunch period, I will tell them, as I'm dismissing the others, um, Johnny, you will have to clean your desk out before you get to come out for lunch. Uh, wonderful motivation to get someone to get his desk clean and to make sure it stays that way and that it passes the next time. Um, those that pass, um, normally I have some sort of um, little reward they get. I swear there's a sticker or a miniature candy bar or something. Um, and those that don't pass, like I said, as far as the um, classroom economy goes, they get fined, and their fine goes to the person who checked their desk. Um, I'm sure there's other methods of making desk checks bad enough and good enough that students want to keep them clean. Um, any other methods or ideas about keeping, having them keep their desk clean? does seem like a constant, it takes constant pressure from the teacher with, on most students. I personally feel, go ahead, did I hear someone speak? I personally feel that having them keep their workbooks, um, notebooks, loose papers and everything um, in somewhere other than their desk helps a lot, such as an unfinished art project that goes into their um, pigeonhole as well so that those things aren't floating around in their desk collecting dust and uh, getting crumpled throughout the week. They all file in the same way in the pigeonhole? Yes. So if there's, a, if there's an unfinished art project Normally that goes in the bottom of the pigeonhole. Pigeon uh, each of them has an assigned pigeonhole. And um, the art project goes in the bottom because normally we do it once a week. And so whenever we come to that again, they pull it back out and start working. Um, it allows us to do some complex art projects that we might not otherwise, um, that we can drag out over a period of time. They each have a job that that has some status to it, um, <laughs> such as one. You know, the one student we call him the rental company, the one who's allowed in my teacher's desk. And for certain items, he gets paid. They have to pay him, such as for whiteout. Uh, that prevents them asking for the whiteout more often than necessary. Um, they pay him every time they ask him to go to get whiteout. 
Um, it also keeps my staples build down a little bit. Um, and uh, another student um, is the umpire on the playground. Um, I found that tends to work sometimes, especially if it's a sensible student at least. Um, it keeps me from being the one who is always being called. All I have to do is tell them they can't argue with the umpire. So I'm not telling them they can't argue with me. They, they will get thrown out of a game if they argue with any of his calls. And usually there's enough peer pressure that he's, there's a lot of pressure on him to make sure it's a good call. So <laughs> I, I've had good success with that. Um, trying to think of some of the other jobs I give them. Um, every six weeks, once they get their report cards in, they get paid um, their grade average. That's part of the system with the money. And they get to spend it on we have an auction, so we have an auctioneer as well. Um, and the auctions, to teach them a little bit about saving, we start with things that aren't worth much, such as maybe a, a pencil, a candy bar, or whatever, uh, and work up to things that are more and more worth more to them, such as maybe at the end of the year I have a basketball, fishing pole, some of those things. And so those who have saved their money um, at the end of the year get a reward that's far greater than what those who spent who bought something at every auction because they always had empty pockets. It's, it, it's, um, it's a wonderful way to teach them time management. I mean, not time management, monetary management. That the delayed um, reward is often far greater than the immediate reward. Some of the positions like umpire and the, the student that's allowed to get into your desk, are those year-long positions or do those are year-long positions, normally, um, and I'm sure that I, I'm sure there's other ways to do it. It's just what I've been doing, and it's worked very well. The students beg to do it, and um, I, so that they don't say that I'm favoring anyone. I have jobs that are suitable for upper graders to do, such as being in my desk, um, checking the others' desks, being the umpire. And the upper graders pull a piece of paper to decide who does that for the year. Um, and then I have a set that the lower graders do, little things for them to do, and so on. And they get to pull slips. So there's no, I don't necessarily choose who's going to be the auctioneer, the umpire, and so on for the year. And I try to make the pay scale to where they all stay as close to the same, opportunity-wise. That would be another topic, I suppose. If someone wants to drop that into the suggestion box, feel free to do so. That's it for today. You're dismissed. Thank you for being a good audience, and uh, thank you, Edwin, for reminding me to hand out my handout. issues um, with recorded our CDs at church. I mean, we just have it.
tons of them. And um, had been discussing what to do with them. And when I started looking at the index, I said, oh, I think oh, we've got something now. Because I'm going to be, my school board happens right now to also be the board of trustees for the church. So when I present it to the school board, I'm going to also be batting that we use it for our church records as well. Mm -hmm. so, do, do you all do that? Aside, not not as far as the church yet, or no, yeah, no. I would, I would think it'd be worthwhile personally. I need to stop that. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.